book of Nehemiah, chapter number 4, verse number 15. I consider it a huge honor to be able to preach to my home church, and I assure you that I will abide by my reputation of, of being rather medium-winded. I won't say I'm short-winded. I won't say I'm long-winded, but medium-winded tonight. I will be conscious of the time. They say young preachers, they don't have a whole lot of experience, and so they don't have a whole lot to say. But tonight, I do believe that I have a word from God, and so I want to deliver that tonight. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse number 15. They say he was the shortest man in the Bible. Many of his friends called him Nehemiah. Amen. That's a... Brother Frost joke. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows and the Habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. For a few short moments, if you would lay your Bibles down, I want to preach from the subject, the promise, the promise. If you would pray with me, God, I pray that you would be with us this day. I pray, God, that we would be in one mind and in one accord, that you would anoint these lips of clay, God, to deliver your word unto your people. I pray that there is a receiving of your word, God. Let it fall on good ground in the name of Jesus. And everyone says... Amen, amen. The promise. Now, in the day and age of Nehemiah, Jerusalem, which is what we are going to be talking about tonight, Jerusalem, the promised land, was taken captive by the Babylonians. Now, this area of space called the promised land in the days of Nehemiah would have been largely forgotten about because it was a forgotten commodity. Having been captured some 150 years prior by the Babylonians, Jerusalem and its walls were in rubble with little to no outlook on its resurrection. This was a place that was very barren. It was very dry. It was very desolate. Life had moved on for everyone, and Jerusalem was at risk of becoming a lost city in history. This was a land that had been promised by God to both Abraham and to Isaac and as well as to Jacob. But there was nothing to show for this particular land. There was nothing to show for it. This promised land that was promised to these three men, there was nothing to show of it. This land was supposed to be the land of great success. It was supposed to be the land of great achievement. Yet it laid in waste and it laid in rubble. And if you were to go today and walk the walls of Jerusalem, of the old city Jerusalem, 
you would walk about 4,018 meters. The walls of the old city of Jerusalem are not very large. They don't hold very particular power. There's nothing really important about them other than that it was called the promised land and it was promised by God. But if you were to walk these walls in the day of Nehemiah, these walls would have looked very, very different. It would have been vastly different from what you will see today because it has been said that the walls were only approximately 550 meters long only 150 meters wide at the largest point. The land was very small. The land was not something that was supposed to be very sought after, but because there was a promise that was given to this land, it became something of opportunity. It was supposed to be the land where God's people were supposed to dwell. But for 150 years, whereabouts, the children of Israel were not in Jerusalem. They were not in this place that was supposed to be promised unto them, but rather they were scattered abroad, all different areas, all different ways. The man Nehemiah that we spoke of, he was living in the land of Persia, and in fact he was the king's cupbearer. He was the individual that, that when the king wanted a drink, Nehemiah was the one to ensure that the drink wasn't poisoned. And because of this, he was... Uh, very important. He was very important to the king. He was very favored because he was living in the king's palace. If this job wasn't fulfilled, the king could have been assassinated. The king could have been killed at a moment's notice because there was not someone that would have looked after the drink. There would, was not someone that would have looked after the king's cup. But Nehemiah, even amongst all of his favor, and even amongst all of the things that he was capable of doing in the king's palace, he remembered that there was a promise that was given to the children of Israel, and he began to inquire about what this Jerusalem really looked like. Now, obviously, in Nehemiah's day and age in the Old Testament, individuals lived significantly longer than you and I live here tonight. But 150 years, that is a long time for this city just to lay at waste. You can only imagine what the city would have looked like. You can only imagine what the walls would have looked like after years and years of deterioration. You can only imagine the weeds and the grass and everything that sprung up around these walls because it was largely uninhabited. There was no one that lived in this area. But Nehemiah remembered the promise. Nehemiah remembered the promise that was given to Abraham, and he remembered the promise that was given to Jacob and to Isaac. He remembered that there was a promise given to the children of Israel, and he began to inquire about what it really took to build these walls of Jerusalem up. He never forgot the promises of God because the promises of God remain true forever. The promises of God never fail. Your promise of yesterday is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God makes a promise, he's always going to fulfill that promise because he's always going to make sure that he wills it to pass. And so if you've received something from God and you've received a word from God, believe that it will come to pass because he's not a God that forgets his word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. 
Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. This means he's not just going to forget you in your despair. He's never going to leave you where you are, but he's always going to remember his word. He's always going to remember the promises that he makes to his people. His people mean so much to him. And Nehemiah had to remind God. He had to remind the Lord what this promise was that he gave to the children of Israel, that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he tells God in his prayer that he is going to restore the walls of Jerusalem if it be his will. When this human body is old and can no longer live, there is a promise that still lives within each and every one of us because there is something that has been instilled in us called the Holy Ghost that still lives beyond this mortal body because this mortal body is going to put on immortality and there's going to be vigor and there's going to be energy in this body. This is why when we read in Ezekiel, we find that he is living in this area and he goes to this valley that is very popular called the Valley of Dry Bones. But what is so unique is it's not just a valley of dry bones. While it is bones and, and things that, that we would think that were probably somewhat disgusting. If you were to just see a valley of dry bones, you can only imagine what happened in this valley that would have caused something like this. But Ezekiel begins to declare and he begins to prophesy because he recognizes that if God speaks and God says something, that it's going to pass. And so he begins to say, if these bones can live, why don't you raise them up? And so Jesus tells him, why don't you go ahead and speak to these bones? And slowly what begins to happen is bone begins to attach to bone and sinew begins to attach to sinew because God's word is always true and it always will be true. And so if God has spoken to you before, believe that he is going to bring it to pass. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 says the word of God is quick. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is promise in this place tonight. There is potential in this place tonight because every time that we step into the house of God, all we need is two individuals or three individuals that would unite together, that would bind together in one mind and in one accord when offering sacrifice unto God. There is a potential that can happen at that moment. There are individuals that can receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost because there is a potential, there is a power that moves in this place. And if you are seeking the Holy Ghost in this house tonight, there is a promise that you can receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost because the Bible says that it is for whosoever will. And if you are able and you are able to step out of where you are, you can receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. His word never fails. The word of God never falls short. It always remains true. And too many times we can hear from God. We can hear him in a specific and direct order. But we really begin to wonder. We begin to question whether or not it truly was God that spoke to us. We wonder if, if God could ever use a person like me. Or would God really speak to a person like me? 
Why would God ever use someone that doesn't have any potential? I don't feel like I've got any, any means to be used by God, but all of the promises of God are yea, and in Him they are amen. If it's been promised to you before, if it's been stated to you before, there is something that happens. If God gives you a promise, you better take it to the bank because it's going to happen because I serve a God that is able to do all things and he is capable to do abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And so if there is a promise in this place today, there is ability for God to heal whatever you need healed. There is a promise of healing. There is a promise of whatever it may be whether it's a calling, whether it's children, I don't know, whatever the situation may be, there is a God that is able in the house of God tonight. I've come to encourage somebody to remember what that promise is, to remember the promises of God. Because it's time that we all get back to the place where God said we would each be. If God has given us a promise and he has told us that there are things that will happen in each and every one of our lives, then it's going to happen. But we've got to be willing to be used by God before that ever comes to pass. We find that the children of Israel are promised this land. They are promised this land called Jerusalem. And for many years it goes captive. It's been taken captive. For many years it just sits empty. It sits empty throughout the ministry and throughout the lives of many individuals. It's been promised. It's something that has been, been given to the children of Israel, but there weren't individuals that were really willing to dig deep and to dig their heels down and say, you know what, I'm going to step out and I'm going to fight for that promise until a man by the name of Nehemiah came around and said, you know what, that's a promise from God, and when there is a promise from God, I'm not going to allow it just to fall upon deaf ears, but I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to be used by God, because if God really meant it, he would really do it for me in the house tonight. If you've got a promise tonight, there is possibility. If you've got a promise tonight, there is potential. The promise, the word promise means to give good ground or expecting a particular occurrence or situation. To give ground or expecting a particular occurrence or situation. If you have a promise, there is an expectation that it's going to happen. Now, if I, if I promise you that I'm going to do something, you expect that I'm going to perform it. And if I don't, you're going to say I am dishonest because I can't fulfill that promise that I gave unto you. But a promise means that there is an expectation believing that it's going to happen. And so if we have expectation and we have a promise, then God is going to reward that expectation because if we believe on him, he is going to will it to pass. Amen. So this promise, why is it important? And why is it that Nehemiah is the individual that stepped out in faith? It's because Nehemiah never forgets the promises of God. 
Even though he had favor in sight of the king, he always remembered God's word. He always remembered what was going to take place and what was going to happen. And so in the process of all of this, he attempts to find some more information. He attempts to find more about what Jerusalem really was. When he is going through this process, when he is going through the the, the information, when he's really trying to figure out what's going on with Jerusalem, and he gets a negative report that the walls have been burned down and the bridges, it's, it's not looking very good and there's holes in the walls and, and there's no way that it's ever going to be, uh, it's no way it's ever going to come to pass because it's just, it's too challenging and it's too difficult. And we find that Nehemiah begins to face opposition we find that Nehemiah begins to face uh, individuals that, that don't always want what Nehemiah has. And so he begins to tell them or they get word that Nehemiah is going to restore the land of Jerusalem. And it is at this point, ironically, that they begin to tell him that uh, you don't need to go fulfill the land. You don't need to go fulfill the promise. Excuse me. You don't need to go work on this building because... It's just simply not worth it. The land is too small. It's not worth the work. And they begin to tell him and put doubt in his head. They begin to say that, that if a fox was to crawl upon the walls of Jerusalem, that they would break and they would falter. But you see, these two individuals, Sanballat and Tobiah, they didn't really understand why he was doing all of these things because he never understood. They never understood what the promise meant. The promise wasn't promised unto them, and so they didn't really recognize why he was going through these great efforts to figure out how he could restore these walls. There's always going to be individuals that will attempt to discourage our attempt to revisit the promise. There will always be people that will attempt to discourage you from coming into the house of God. You can, you can dress like them, you can talk like them, you can be like them, and you can be one of them. But as soon as you begin to make decisions, as soon as you begin uh, to come into the house of God, all of a sudden things begin to change, and now they've got an opinion on what you want to do. They're not always happy with you uh, stepping out into the promise. They're not always happy with what you want to do in the kingdom of God. So because of this, Nehemiah makes it known that he is going to prepare the land. He is going to fulfill this prophecy, this promise that was given a long time ago. And these individuals, they didn't understand what it took. They didn't understand the promise because the promise wasn't promised to them. It was promised to the children of Israel, and that is why Nehemiah had it so deep within his spirit because he knew and he understood if I am going to ever do something for the kingdom of God, now is the time and now is the opportunity, and so I'm going to do everything within my power so that I can do something for the kingdom of God. This piece of property in Bakersfield, this place that we sit, this sanctuary, this building, you and I, we understand what is important about this building. We understand why this piece of property is so important. 
And while it may be relatively small compared to all of Bakersfield, we understand why this place is important. And this is where Nehemiah was. This is where he was battling against opposition, telling them you don't really understand why this place is important because you have never received the promise. But when I step onto this piece of property, what I see is I begin to see promise coming into fruition. I begin to see a promise that was given to a man in 1943 a long, long time ago that says, you know what, I'm going to carve out a work for God in Bakersfield, California, and I don't know how it's going to happen, and I don't know what's going to take, but you know what, I'm going to carve something out, and I'm going to put my head to the plow and do whatever it takes, and I just, every time I look around this place, all we can see is the promises of God. The promises of God are yea and amen, and they will never fail. And so the promises of God, this promise was given to the children of Israel. We're going somewhere, I promise, and we're going somewhere really quick. So if you don't start responding, then I'm, I'm going to be standing up here uh, for about five more minutes. I'm just teasing. Doubters came against Sanballat, actually, they came against Nehemiah, these two individuals called Sanballat and Tobiah. It came against Nehemiah and the Jews. And he told the people that it was time to stand in the gaps. It's time to stand in the gaps of the walls with one hand working and the other hand with a weapon. He tells them that there is much work that needs to be done. There are many things that need to happen. There are many things that need to come to pass before we can ever really build up these walls. Because of the threatenings and because of the challenges that came his way, he begins to tell his people, you know what, you need to gird yourself. You need to have one hand with a shovel and you need to have one hand with a spear. I don't know about you, but if I was working with one hand, one hand with a shovel, one hand with a spear, it would take me a long time to get any work done. But he tells the people, this is what we've got to do. And he tells the builders, you need to have a sword at your side so that when the enemy comes your way, you can stand in the gap for the city and you can be prepared for battle. Now this has many different ways. We can take this many different ways, but but what I want to take, the way that I want to take it is I'm going to stand in the gap. Whatever I've got to do in the house of God, I want to be prepared for the onslaught of the enemy. I want to stand in the gap. Whatever you want me to do, Pastor, I am going to stand prepared because it's one hand with a shovel and it's one hand with a spear. And we're going to fight and we're going to do what is right in the kingdom of God. There's much opposition to the church today. There are many things and many people against the church. There's much work that needs to be done. There's many people that we need to reach, but at the same time, we've got to have a sword at our side so that we can fight off every spiritual force of wickedness. Because this promise is worth fighting for. If you and I have a promise, which we do, it's worth fighting for in the house of God tonight. Every one of us have a purpose. Every one of us have a ministry. And every time we step into the house of God, it's time for warfare. 
And every time we step outside of the church, it's time for warfare. But at the same time, it's also time for work because there's so much work to be done in the city of Bakersfield. There's so many places that have been unreached. And while you and I look at each other and we've got a great-sized church, there is still so much work to be done and there are still so many people to be reached. In Joshua chapter 13, God tells Joshua, look at everything that you have. He tells him, as he's old and stricken in years, Joshua chapter 13, verse number 1, he tells him, there is so much more land that you need to possess. When you look at the life of Joshua, there's not a whole lot more that Joshua could have ever done. Joshua was, was powerful. Joshua was used of God. But in his old and ripened years, God tells Joshua, there is so much more land to be possessed. And while we have everything here, there are so many churches that don't have half as what we've got, but there is so much more land to be possessed. And there are so many more people to be reached because this is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God should be furthered. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and I want to win as many people into the house of God that I can because I want this place to become as important to the world as it is to me. Hallelujah. It wasn't many days later that the walls Nehemiah built were finished. It didn't take him very long. In fact, it took him about 52 days. 52 days. From beginning to end, 52 days of work, 52 days of effort. It may make you wonder if this area of land lay in waste for 150 years and it only took 52 days to rebuild the walls. What, why weren't there other individuals that stepped out to, to finish these walls. And in reading, I found something so important. I found something very unique about the leadership of Nehemiah. And that was when the work was half done, when the walls were half finished, he said that is the time that is the most dangerous. Because he said when you begin to see that all of a sudden work begins to be formed and, and there's half of a wall here, it becomes really easy to take breaks and it becomes really easy for us to just sit back and admire what we've already done. This just continues on Joshua chapter 13. Everything that we've got, everything that we have, there is still so much more to be done. I don't even think we're halfway through in Bakersfield. I don't even think we're halfway finished reaching the individuals that we need to reach because there are people that are hungry, there are people that are dying, that are lost, and they want to receive something from God. They want to see something happen in their own lives. All people want some kind of purpose. I had a young lady in Sunday school class. She had never been to church before, at least to an apostolic church. She had never been in a Sunday school class like we have. And as I'm teaching, uh, in my own idealistic, naive way, born and raised in church, uh, I'm teaching about Joseph, and I'm teaching about David, and I'm teaching about individuals that you and I would, would recognize and understand are, are very important people in the Bible. And after class, she came up to me and she said, Who's David? Well, 
as a young teacher, preacher, that will deflate your sales pretty quickly because who is David? David's like the only three messages I've got. That's the only person I know how to preach. So I, we started talking, and, and then uh, I continued teaching the next week. And the following week, she said, who's Joseph? Well, there's the other message. But the whole point of that is to say that there are still people that they have no idea what it means to step into the house of God. They have no idea what it means that you and I get to experience on a weekly basis. Why is it so important? It's just this little piece of land. There's not a whole lot to show for it. But, but if you knew what I knew and we saw the people together, there are so many people that are hungry, that are lost, that are dying, that want to see something happen, that want to be used of God. They just want to find some kind of purpose. And you and I are the perfect individuals because we have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed and you and I only we can be the ones that reach out to those very same individuals that want to see the kingdom of God in their lives why don't you clap your hands why don't you lift your voice God I want to be a beacon of hope I want to be a light in a lost and dying generation in a lost and dying world hallelujah they want some kind of purpose each and every one of us, we all have a purpose. We all have something that we would look at in our own lives and say, that is something that gives me purpose. And if you don't have that, the kingdom of God should be enough to say, that gives me purpose. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse number 16, he begins to explain what happens when the enemies, when the opposition begins to hear what happened after they finished the walls of Jerusalem? He says, And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought out of God. What they begin to realize is it's not just Nehemiah and his, his little group of people that are building these walls you begin to realize that 52 days worth of building the walls, how does that even happen out of a man that, that doesn't really seem to have any position? All he is is a cupbearer for the king. But what begins to happen and what begins to take place is the opposition begins to see, hey, this isn't just Nehemiah and a couple of individuals that are building up these walls, but these people have something so much more powerful than we even recognized. They have something so much more apparent than we even knew. And each and every one of us today, we've been given a promise. And if you recognize that you've been given the power, you've been given a promise that God can only fulfill. There is a power that happens because God is the one that gives us the anointing. We allow many times the enemy to talk us into defeat. As the musicians begin to prepare. I told you I wasn't going to be long. Many times we talk ourselves into defeat. We talk ourselves into the battle. The victory has already been won. We've sang it countless times tonight. It's almost as if it's a theme that the victory has already been decided. 
But too many times we allow the enemy of our flesh to talk us into doubting the promise. Doubting what God has given each and every one of us. But there is something so important that each of us must recognize. And that is we've got to stop allowing the enemy to talk us into battles that were never supposed to be fought. We're allowing the enemy to talk us into things that that they don't even matter anymore because the victory has already been won. And for each and every one of us, maybe you are able to identify the promise in your own life. There is a promise that each of us have been given, but unless we are willing to take up a sword and unless we are willing to take up a shovel, that that promise that we have, it will never come to pass and it will never have any walls to show for it. It will just be this rubble. It will just be this broken down piece of land because no one was really willing to contend for it. I don't know if there is anyone that feels what I feel in the house of God tonight, but there are individuals that feel as if they are at their last wit's end. They feel as if there's nowhere to turn. They feel as if there's nowhere that they can go. They've spent too many hours. They've spent too many days wandering in the wilderness, if you will. But if you will allow God and if you will allow the kingdom of God to pick you up, there is something that will begin to happen in your life. And all of a sudden, that promise that seemed like it was never going to happen, that promise that never seemed like it was going to come to fruition, now all of a sudden there, there is something to show for it. As the singers prepare, I won't be long, but if we can all stand. You're attempting to rebuild the walls. You're attempting to rebuild all of this stuff, all of these things. But what you don't realize is there's a God of your faith and there is someone that only he can provide the victory. Only he can allow you to build the walls in 52 days. There's no way that we can do it on our own. There's no way that we could ever reach Bakersfield on our own, but through God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. If you feel like you're in the realm of impossibility. You feel like you can no longer be used in the kingdom of God. I've come to tell you that it's time that we possess the land and it's time that we go back to that promise. That promise that maybe it was promised a long time ago. I don't know, I don't know what the circumstance may be, but, but maybe that promise was 40, was 50, was 60 years ago. But there is something that happens when we put the victory in God's hands. And we begin to believe that the victory has already been won. We're fighting a battle that's useless. We're fighting a battle that's worthless. In Ezekiel chapter 22, in verse number 30, God is looking for a man. He's looking for someone that is willing to stand in the gap. He's looking for an individual that's willing to step out and say, you know what, I've been given a promise and it's been up to me to move and I haven't moved. And he says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This is one of the greatest tragedies in all of the Bible. 
God is speaking to Ezekiel and he tells him he can't find a man to do his work. He can't find a woman who is willing to stand in the gap for someone else, to stand in the gap of that promise, to stand in the gap of that war, whatever the situation, whatever the case may be. But God is looking for someone that will stand in the gap tonight. God is looking for a person that is willing to step out and say, you know what, I've been given a promise a long, long time ago, and I haven't done anything about it. But tonight is your night because tonight there is victory in this place and there is opportunity in this place. There was a story that had already been mentioned. Brother Nate Reese mentioned 27 years. What could have looked like rubble and ruins? How can this ever be anything that's worth praying over? How can I ever have any potential? How can I ever have the victory? But for 27 years, there was a, a wife and a woman that prayed, Sister Gloria Reese, that said, you know what, it, it looks like rubble right now. And it, it, looks like, it looks like a bunch of dirt and it's desolate. There's nothing really to show for it. But for 27 years, that woman, she prayed every single day, I'm sure, because she received a promise. She received something in prayer that said, you know, I'm going to pray for my husband that he's going to find his way to the kingdom of God. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm going to continue to pray because I'm going to shovel out something. I'm going to carve out something. There's another story. For 10 years, I think, if I recall correctly, Sister Myra Cuevas, she prayed for 10 some odd years that Brother Sal and Sister Tori would come into the house of God. She was the one that was standing in the gap. She was the person that was standing in the gap for these two individuals. And what we find after 10 long years is we find the fruits of her prayers. We've got the fruit of her prayers playing the piano tonight. We've got individuals in this place that are sitting on the front row because of prayers that have been answered, because of a promise that was given a long, long time ago. I don't know if you hear what I hear, and I don't know if you feel what I feel, but I know that there, are, there is a promise in the house of God tonight. And if you are willing to step out, if you really feel as if tonight is your night, there is victory in this house. There is, there is promise in this house and you are able to receive it in this place. Come on, why don't we lift our hands? Why don't we lift up our voice? Come on, why doesn't somebody stand in the gap? Why don't we stand in the gap for what we really believe in? I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle. Hallelujah, come on, somebody. We're gonna see a victory tonight. We're gonna see a victory tonight. The battle has already been won. The battle has already been won. It's already in the king's hands. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you lift up your voice? If you believe that, why don't you lift up your hands? God, I know that you are able. I know that you are capable tonight. There is victory tonight. Oh, God. 
the battle belongs to you. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. If you need the Holy Ghost in this place, it's here. If you need healing in this place, it's here in the altar. You just got to step out by faith and know that God is going to provide the victory tonight. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your voice in victory tonight? The battle has already been won. It already belongs to God. I'm going to see seeking something that they've never received before. This promise that's been promised a long time ago. Why don't we lift them up? Why don't we stand in the gap? We need intercessors in this place tonight. Individuals that will stand in the gap for someone tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. I know how. 